0: Well, if you've got a Bible, open up to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we've been working through the book of Galatians. We're here at the end of chapter 5, beginning of chapter 6. And uh, Lord willing, we'll have two more sermons in Galatians, and and then we will have completed preaching through this book. You can grab one of the pew Bibles there. If, If you didn't bring one, that could be helpful to have that open. Galatians 5, 25 through chapter 6, verse 5. In addition, on the back of the worship guide, you'll see an outline there, kind of a bare bones outline of where we're going. That could be helpful for you to keep an eye on as as we move along through the passage. Galatians 5, 25 through chapter 6, verse 5. Um, Well, a question right off the bat, just to kind of uh, uh, get us calibrated here. So, so think about this scenario when you think about a fellow church member pointing out your sin to you how does that make you feel as you think about that scenario so you've sinned in some particular way another church member has seen that maybe a pattern of sin and they come to you lovingly gently they point out that sin to you does that as you think about that scenario does that scenario sound appealing or does that sound unappealing i think for most of us that would at least are maybe we know what the right answer is from scripture but just instinctively i think for most of us that would be like asking if if getting a shot is pleasing or having the irs decide to audit you is pleasing but but see here here's the counterintuitive truth the lord has for us this morning and it is counterintuitive So it's good to be honest about the way we feel as we think about that scenario. How do I feel when somebody points out sin to me? This is the counterintuitive truth the Lord has for us this morning. When sin gets pointed out to the Christian, that is not a burden. So when a fellow believer points out your sin to you, that is not a burden. In fact, it's the complete opposite is what our passage this morning teaches. When when sin gets pointed out to the Christian, that's actually a burden being lifted is what this passage teaches. And, and if we love one another inside the body of Christ, then we will want to help one another bear that burden, which we're able to do in part as we point out sin to one another. So hear the word of the Lord, starting in Galatians 5.25. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Okay, so in this section of Galatians, past couple of weeks as we've looked at this, Paul's been dealing with the fact that the Christian has the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit leads us on in particular ways. He grows us in particular characteristics. He points the way for us in a life that's pleasing to the Lord, and here's another place the Holy Spirit wants us to go. We see it in this passage. He wants us to, to actively seek to protect one another in the body of Christ from sin to bear one another's burdens by pointing out sin. And I think the Lord has at least three clear things he's calling you to do this morning, calling me to do this morning. First, you'll see these uh, listed there on the back of the outline. First, treat yourself as weak and sin as dangerous. First thing we're gonna see in this passage. Second, love fellow members by pointing out sin when necessary. It's kind of the heart of the passage. And third, Use the final judgment of God. So remember about the final judgment to keep these things in perspective. So again, the first thing I think the Lord is directing you and me to do this morning, treat yourself as weak and sin as dangerous. So it's really interesting. We have the Holy Spirit who is God. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity, fully divine, fully powerful. We have that spirit living inside of us We know that spirit can overpower sin easily it will defeat our old sinful nature every single time and we know that holy spirit's job is to produce good fruit inside of us the kind of fruit that we heard about last week in the prayer of confession this morning we'll read it again verses 22 and 23 of chapter 5. love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control The spirit produces those things in our heart and we have that spirit. And yet Paul still has to tell us what he does in verse 26 of chapter five. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is incredible, right? The majority of the list of the fruits of the spirit is about our heart toward other people. And yet Paul knows he has to instantly turn around and tell us, don't have the opposite of those things toward other people he he knows he has to turn around and tell us to actively resist sin you know why it's because our sinful nature is weak you on your own apart from the lord's help you and me our sinful nature is weak look again at the list we're given in verse 26 let us not become conceited provoking one another envying one another Okay, so, so conceited, that means to be prideful, to think you're better than other people. Provoking, that means you're tempting someone else to sin in some way, sort of competing against them, and that's tempting them to sin, provoking them. And envying means you're jealous of something that someone else has, and you think you deserve that thing more than they do. You're envying them. And, and see, our hearts, they experience all three of these sins, right? So if you think honestly, you would say, yeah, I do these things. Don't you sometimes compare yourself to others and either walk away feeling proud that you're better or angry that you don't have the thing they have? That just comes standard with our sinful nature. That's a thing that we oftentimes do. And and aren't there times when in competition against others, you even desire bad for someone? Isn't that crazy? That's dark, isn't it? But that's us. That's our sinful nature, our sinful flesh. Listen to how Paul talks about the sin nature in Romans 7, verse 14. He says this For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And listen, apart from the Holy spirit, that's who we are. So you are weak. I, my sinful nature is weak. That's us, but see, it's not just that we are weak. We need to keep that in mind, but it's not just that we are weak. It's also that sin is dangerous. We need to remember both of those things. So, so right off the bat, we need to understand how is sin dangerous? Well, right off the bat, we need to understand sin is out to get us. It's not a bad thing that's sort of laying there and then we pursue it. No, sin, as our sinful nature has geared us, sin is out to get us is the way scripture talks about it. It's after you. Look at the language of chapter six, verse one. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now that word transgression, you're probably familiar with this. That's just a synonym for sin. It literally means false step. So God tells us where to go, tells us the path to walk on. And then as humans, we step off of that path. Even as Christians, we do that regularly, a false step, a transgression. Well, transgression or sin is looking to catch us, is the language here. Listen how God says it to Cain at the very beginning of the story of scripture. This is Genesis 4, verse 7. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to have you. That's sin, it wants to catch us. So, so I remember being little and learning early on that, that bumblebees and yellow jackets could both sting and was stung by both of those as a child. But, but I also remember learning that what made yellow jackets worse is they were aggressive, right? If a bumblebee's in a bush and I'm mowing the grass and I'm coming up on it, it leaves. If there's a yellow jacket's nest in the ground and I run over that, which I did once, trouble. They don't leave. They swarm. They pursue. They're aggressive. Well, sin is aggressive. And when sin gets a hold of us, it does bad to us. So look at verse one again of chapter six. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. It's what that word restore in in part tells us. It's the same Greek word folks of that day would use to talk about uh, fishing nets being mended. So the net gets broken and it doesn't work and those fishermen, week by week, however often it happens, they have to mend that net. They, They have to have it fixed because it comes undone, it breaks. That's what sin does to us. Sin breaks parts of our lives. It undoes parts of you. In fact, if left alone, sin will lead to eternal death and judgment away from the Lord. That's what sin wants to do. Don't forget what we saw two weeks ago. Look at chapter 5, verse 20 through 21. Anybody who, who gives themselves over to a lifetime of sins won't inherit the kingdom of God, we're told. They won't get into heaven. So sin is trying to do a bad thing to us. But see, even for the one who will get into heaven, the one who's trusting in Jesus as their only hope, and they have fruit of that trust in their life, that's a Christian, even that person will be held responsible by their sins in a way before the Lord. So so sin doesn't only have consequences for the non-Christian. It has consequences for the believer too. This is what Paul seems to be getting at in chapter 6, verse 5. Look down at that verse. For each have to bear his own load okay what's he talking about there what's it mean to bear your own load well it sounds like what he's talking about is the final judgment before the lord when we're all standing there and we have to give an account of our life in certain ways look over at chapter 5 verse 10. Paul used that same word to bear in that same way in chapter 5 verse 10. He He's talking about the future of false teachers around the Galatian churches. These teachers he's been attacking throughout the book of Galatians. And in chapter 5, verse 10, he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. He's talking about the future day of judgment. This word bear is used in other places in the New Testament, talking about the same thing. When these false teachers are standing before the Lord, they'll have to bear the weight of their sin. Of what they've done. They'll be held accountable for those sins. Well, Paul uses that same language here about a future bearing of our own load. You may not know this, but we will all have to stand before the judgment seat of God in a way, not just non-Christians, Christians too. Listen to this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Paul's writing to Christians this is what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So even the Christian will have to stand before the Lord one day and give an account for how faithful we were, how faithful we were to Jesus. Now we know that for the Christian, God's not gonna condemn any of us from that judgment seat. Praise the Lord. It'll be fatherly discipline, however that shakes out. But he will still see and acknowledge our level of faithfulness to Jesus throughout this life. Sin only does bad things, doesn't it? It's it's dangerous. But see, another huge part of the danger is the fact that sin is quiet. Sin is quiet, it's sneaky. Because we have five kids, And so for, uh, 12 years now, we've had a baby living in our house and undoubtedly there's times where the baby's asleep in the baby's room and we need something out of that room. And so to get into that room, you have to be quiet. And you guys know if your parents, if you had young kids at one point, you probably know what this is like. I can see right now. I can feel the door on the baby's room in Maine because I, I'd have to, you pull it tight to turn that doorknob so that when the thing comes out, whatever all those parts are called, it doesn't make a noise. It will if you don't pull the door towards you. So I'd pull the door toward me and turn that so it doesn't make a noise. I'd open the door quick because it creaks if you open it too slow. And then I knew the parts of the floor. This is something. I knew the parts of the floor that I creaked. So I knew where I could step and where I couldn't step. The the whole purpose was to get in without being noticed without waking that baby up, that's sin, sin sneaks in. It knows where to step. It knows when to move quick and when to move slow. It's sneaky. It can come in without being noticed. And that explains how it can catch someone like it does in verse one. It explains the warning Paul gives at the end of verse one, where he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So Paul knows that that when we point out sin to a fellow believer that we're about to talk about that gives sin an opportunity in our own heart, probably the sin of pride. Paul talks about it more in verse three of chapter six, he says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So sin is deceptive, makes us think we're spiritually healthy when we're not. It's it's like a burglar who robs you and then dresses up like a police officer to tell you your house is secure. It's deceptive. So because sin does an incredible amount of harm to us, and and because it aims to do that work, it's doing it on purpose, it wants to catch us, and because it does it in a way that's not noticed, well, that makes sin particularly dangerous, doesn't it? So the, the question for us, are you treating yourself as weak? and are you treating sin as dangerous? Ask yourself this question. Do I think I need help from the Lord? So in my daily life, do I think I need help from the Lord or do I really think I've kind of got it under control myself? So I can kind of be on autopilot, I figured it out, I can do it on my own. So for example, to get more particular, do you pray and reach out for help from God when it comes to your sin. Just think about, okay, the, the amount that I sin, see it like a, a pie chart. What percentage of that pie is prayer for the Lord to help me with my sin versus other needs I have, maybe material things, you know? Lord, help us get a good estimate on this roof that we need to get replaced. or help me to to secure this job promotion or something like that. Okay, so all of our prayers, what percentage is taken up on us asking the Lord to help us with our sin? According to the Bible, that should take up a significant portion of our prayers. We should pray the same kind of thing Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer, keep me from temptation. And see, when we don't do that, that, that's probably a sign that we're either overestimating our own abilities, underestimating sins abilities, or both. Think about another practical question. Do you confess sins to other believers? The way that James chapter 5, verse 16 tells you to. Do you, do you ask for help and accountability from other believers for particular sin struggles? So, so if you know you're oftentimes tempted to make your family an idol, do you reach out to, to another sister or brother in Christ, confess that, and then say, hey, would you pray for me for that? And Maybe even reach out every now and then and just ask how that's going just ask me, hey, how's it going with the temptation to idolize your family, to put them over the Lord? Or if you know you're regularly tempted to get sinfully angry with your boss or a coworker or a family member that you see regularly, do you tell another Christian about that so they can pray for you and and ask you how that struggle is going so they can check in with you? Our congregational reading from Hebrews 3 just told us to exhort one another every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So do you reach out to fellow members to help you with sin? In, in a separate category, are you reading the Bible regularly? Are you reading the Bible regularly? Do, do you realize that in your fight against sin, you need God's word, just like your physical body needs food? Like Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 says way back at the beginning of the letter, The words of the Bible aren't words originating from men, they're words from God. And they're God's main avenue to recreate your heart, to help you to turn from sin. So are you reading the Bible? Do do you prioritize these public worship gatherings so you can hear the word proclaimed by brothers and sisters and prayed and sung and preached? If you're not, that could be a sign you're overestimating your abilities, underestimating sin's abilities. So we want to pursue avenues like this because you're weak and sin is dangerous. We want to keep that in mind. So so since we as human sinners are exceptionally weak, since sin's particularly dangerous, that means inside the body of Christ we should love fellow members accordingly. And this is at least the second thing the Lord's asking you to do this morning. Love fellow members by pointing out sin when necessary. It's the second thing the Lord's calling us to do. Chapter 6, verse 1 brothers if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness so inside the body of christ we're supposed to point out sin to one another now we don't have that responsibility with non-believers i'm not going to read this but the lord makes that really clear in first corinthians chapter 5 verses 9 through 12. you could read that passage this afternoon this isn't our responsibility towards non-believers to point out sin, but for Christians, this is one way we're supposed to care for one another. And this isn't the only place where scripture tells us to point out one another's sins. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, Paul says, and we urge you brothers, admonish the idol. So he gives one example there of somebody who's, who's being lazy. They're not working, they're being an idol. What he says to do is to admonish them, to correct them, to point that out. Jesus tells us to do the same sort of thing in Matthew 18, verse 15. Our Savior says, if your brother, meaning a fellow Christian, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So let me give you an example of what this looks like on the ground, because you might think this all sounds good. What's it look like on the ground? I'll give you an example. So I had a coworker at the first Starbucks I ever worked at. And he was a good friend. I had known him for years. He was a fellow believer. His name's John. And John, after we had worked at Starbucks together for a couple of months, John came to see me and he said, hey, do you think, Scott, that maybe you've been a bit lazy at work lately? So we had a really laid back Starbucks. A lot of non-believers worked with us. It was kind of easy to slide into that way of doing things. Our manager was by and large fine with that. And so I had sort of slipped into that, just being a little too laid back, a little bit lazy. And so John said, hey, do you think maybe you've been a little bit lazy at work? He saw that I was caught in this particular sin. I didn't seem to recognize it. It was a pattern, it had been going on for a while. And so out of love, he came and he pointed that out to me. Okay, so so have you ever done that? Or flip side, have you ever had another believer come to you and do that? And if not, we understand the reasons, right? This is no easy task. This thing that Paul is instructing us to do, pointing someone sin out to them, that's not for the faint of heart. So, so let's start by seeing why we should do this really difficult, this really countercultural thing. And this is listed on the back on the outline there. There's two main reasons our passage gives. First, we do this, we point out sin to one another because we love fellow Christians. That's the first reason we see. So like we looked at in our first point, sin is eternally dangerous. And so if we love our fellow believers, our desire for them will be to get them away from sin, this thing that is bad for them. When when I was in Kentucky last summer, uh, one of our neighbors, a brand new neighbor, called me to say, hey, there's a couple of guys that are walking in and out of your house. And we'd been in the house, you know, I got here the end of June. My family was still in Kentucky. So this is beginning of July. I've probably known this neighbor for a week and a half. He says, hey, there's these guys that are walking in and and out of your house and praise the Lord, those two guys were Tim Hooser and Tim Martin. So no problem, right? They were there doing good to our house. Actually, I think they were pressure washing and, and doing some other good things. But it was great to know we had neighbors who loved us enough to call when they thought, hey, somebody might be breaking into your house. And so they they reached out to us. Well, believers should love one another enough to say something when sin might be sneaking into our brother or sister's life. It's the same sort of thing, except sin is far more dangerous than somebody breaking into our house. And in fact, when, when we resist doing that, when we kind of take the the American way, which is, hey, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. I'm going to leave you alone. We'll be friends, but I'm never going to point out that I think you're doing anything wrong. More and more, that's kind of the way that our culture is pushing us to to act. When we think maybe, no, this is none of my business. I see sin, but I'm not going to say anything. That's actually the opposite of love. That's the opposite of love. That's the rejection of love. Listen to this passage, makes it pretty clear. This is Leviticus chapter 19 verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. Okay, Lord. So how do I do that? Don't hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. So Moses is saying through the inspiration of the Holy spirit, if you don't want to hate your brother, then you will reason frankly with him because of his sin. Just like Paul's saying here, you'll seek to restore him, you'll point it out. So for us, don't hate your fellow church member. Instead, point out sin to him. And again, so incredibly countercultural. Our culture tells us the way to love someone is to never tell them they're wrong about anything. Of course, that's not consistent. We don't want doctors who do that, right? You don't want a doctor who sees a pattern in your life that will lead you to to physical death, but they just don't say anything about it. You don't want a doctor that finds what could potentially be cancer, but then thinks, oh, but I don't wanna trouble this patient. Right, that'll be a hard conversation. I'm just gonna let him think he's fine. No, our culture knows we don't want that. What's the same thing when we ignore sin in one another? right? Jesus tells us to, to do something different than the world says to do. Because sin is dangerous, if we love someone, we'll want them to see that sin. And if a fellow believer really wants to love us, they'll do the same. Okay, so why should you desire to point out sin to a fellow believer? First, because you love them. Okay, second, you have the one thing you need to help them, which is the Holy Spirit. That's what's necessary here, and we have it. That's what Paul's talking about in verse one, when he says, you who are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We might see that and think, oh, he's talking about you're a really great Christian. You're spiritual in that way. No, he's just talking about somebody that's described as having the spirit. He's talking about a Christian. You're spiritual, you have the spirit, which of course every believer has. Paul reminded us of that back in chapter three, verse two. The moment you trusted in Jesus, you were given the Holy Spirit. And because you have that Holy Spirit, you can operate according to the spirit. As we see in chapter five, verse 25, we live by the spirit as Christians and we can keep in step with the spirit. And it's that spirit that's the only equipment necessary to point out sin to a fellow believer. It's it's the spirit that provides us with the fruit we saw in the last chapter, which includes love and patience and gentleness. Those are all characteristics that help us in pointing out sin to one another. The spirit produces those things in us. But then there's also this really mysterious aspect to having the indwelling spirit and being able to helpfully deal with sin in another person. Listen to this passage, John chapter 22, verse 22. Jesus has the apostles with him, this is what happens. And Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Okay, so that's sort of mysterious, but there's definitely a connection there between the indwelling spirit, having the spirit, and dealing with sin in another person. There's some connection there. So so even though the task of pointing out sin to one another is daunting, you have what you need for the task. You have the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so hopefully we're all together so far. Human nature is weak. Sin's dangerous, therefore out of love, we should wanna get one another away from sin. And praise God, we have the necessary equipment to do that, which is the indwelling Holy Spirit. So as, as members of Cornerstone Baptist Church, we have no excuse to purposefully avoid pointing out sin to, to one another. Okay, but what does this look like practically? We, we dealt with the why question, now let's deal with the how question. Again, these are listed there in the outline. What, What does our passage tell us about how to do this well? Well, we're going to isolate five points listed there. How should you go about obeying this command in verse 1, pointing out sin to a brother or sister in Christ? First, you've got to be sure it's really a sin. That's the first thing to go to, the place to start. You've got to be sure it's really a sin. Galatians 6.1 isn't talking about a behavior in a fellow Christian that just happens to irritate you. So Maria probably won't mind if I mention this, but I had chips and queso the other night. And when I was about to eat those chips and queso, she put earbuds in to listen to something on her phone. I said, what are you gonna listen to? And she said, I don't know yet. And then I realized, oh, it's because I chew my chips loud. So Maria's gonna drown it out with headphones, which is fine, which is fine. But that's not the type of thing where Maria, instead of putting in those headphones, should say, we need to have a conversation before the Lord, I need to let you know that you chew your chips too loud. Now, that's not a transgression. There's, there's, not a, there's not a Bible verse about that. That's not the kind of thing Galatians 6.1 is talking about. It's, it's not talking about behavior that just happens to irritate you. It's, it's not talking about an opinion in someone else that you think is stupid or wrong or, or even unhelpful. That word transgression, it's not talking about when somebody transgresses your preferences. No, it's talking about when somebody transgresses God's word. So it needs to be a behavior or an opinion that the Bible explicitly says is sinful, that we know God's opinion on that matter. You know, there's all sorts of decisions believers have to make where other believers will make the opposite decision and you've got to make a call on it, but other believers will differ from us and the Bible doesn't call one of those decisions sin. That happens all the time, right? And for decisions like these, Romans 14 is really helpful. This is what Paul says in Romans 14, because we're tempted to judge others. Oh, you didn't do this thing the way that I do it. I'm judging you for it. Romans 14, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Of course, Paul's not talking about the person that murders Right? The person who sins according to the word. No, he's talking about that host of decisions that the Bible doesn't tell us explicitly go this way or or go that way. So if, if you have your kids in Christian private school, you don't tell other parents they're in sin for having their kids in public school or vice versa. Right. If if you think your preferred candidate for the Senate is so good and you hear that your brother in Christ wrote in a candidate instead of voting for yours. don't you don't judge that brother you don't tell him he's in sin no transgression in verse one is talking about the kinds of things that are listed back in chapter 5 verse 19. sexual immorality idolatry jealousy fits of anger divisions envy drunkenness the bible has to give a clear command against a thing Your brother or sister is doing in order for it to be considered transgression so that's where you've got to start step one be sure this thing you see in them is really a sin according to the lord second consider if this sin should be overlooked verse one of our passage it doesn't tell you to point out every sin you see a brother or sister commit if that was the case that is all we would be doing right our membership is not humongous But I'm telling you, if that was the job description, all we would be doing is having a members meeting every single night and trying to deal with this list of particular sins that we see in one another and see in ourselves. That's that's not what it's talking about. No, it says to point out sin when a brother or sister is caught in transgression. So, So typically, this should be a sin that has become a pattern for someone or they're blind to it. And they're sinning in this way and they don't see it at all. Something like that. That means we shouldn't feel the need to point out every sin. In other words, many sins should be overlooked. That's good for some of us to hear, isn't it? Many sins should be overlooked. Let me read us a few verses that talk about just this thing. And if, when I say that you think, "Oh, that stings. I need to hear that write down these verses this afternoon you could go look over these or regularly look over them pray for these things to take root in your heart this is first peter chapter 4 verse 8 above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins proverbs 19 verse 11 even more explicit proverbs 19 11. good sense makes one slow to anger And it is is his glory to overlook an offense. So you see a sin and you overlook it. There's a way, there's a kind of sin where it's your glory to do that. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love does not write down evils. Love doesn't keep track of evils. There are countless times when it's most wise and loving to overlook a sin in a brother or sister in Christ. Now, the the sin we should feel the need to point out is the sin which has caught someone. Our brother or sister in Christ seems to be stuck in this sin. It's become a pattern. But if it fits into that category, that's the kind of thing verse 1 is talking about. Okay, so, so what do we do then? Well, third thing listed there of how to do this be sure you love this brother or sister. Before you point out sin to another believer, be sure that you love them. So if you see a sin in a fellow church member that's a pattern, maybe they seem to be blind to it, before pointing out that sin, be sure you love them. And if you really struggle to love this person, pray that the Lord would raise up somebody else to point this sin out, and that he'd work in your heart to grow you in love for them in the meantime. But before you point out sin, you've got to be sure you love this person. Love is one necessary ingredient for pointing out sin. We know that first of all, because in verse one, it says, you should restore this person in a spirit of gentleness, which means more than just doing it in a gentle way, no, a spirit of gentleness means that's in your heart. Your heart is characterized toward them as being gentle. You have love for this person. But also this entire discussion takes place in the context of love for one another that's the whole context here verse 2 bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ okay what's the law of christ when well, we know what the center of the law of christ is chapter 5 verse 14 for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself so you've got to be sure you love this person before you point out sin to them but Pointing out sin is an exceedingly loving thing to do. Listen to Proverbs 27, five. Matt read the beginning of it in the Old Testament reading. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. My friend John coming to me and saying, hey, you've been lazy at work. That's a good thing. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Or Psalm 141, verse five. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness, so let him correct me. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Okay, so be sure it's really a sin. Consider if it should be overlooked. Be sure you love this person. Okay, but if all those line up, then you're being commanded by the Lord to seek to restore this fellow Christian the way chapter 6, verse 1 says it which means to point out their sin to them so they can have the opportunity to turn from that sin, be restored in that way. So, so how should you go about that? If you should pursue them, how should you do it? Look at the third point under the how be gentle and humble, be gentle and humble. So be gentle. Verse one again in our passage, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness our example, of course, is Jesus. Like we talked about last week, Jesus deals with us gently, doesn't he? Every single time. There was a prophecy about Christ back in Isaiah 42, Isaiah 42 verse 3, that says he will not break a weak reed. So, so like we talked about in our first point, we are incredibly weak by nature. We're like those reeds down next to a creek right, that the wind can blow hard and can knock those things over, and they're so close to breaking completely, they're barely hanging on. That's us. Jesus comes to us, and he takes hold of us gently. Isn't that incredible? That's the picture. He will not break a weak reed. Jesus knows how to handle you where you don't break. So good, isn't it? He is such a good Savior. He's so kind and gentle, well we should follow his lead we should handle one another gently in that way as as far as pointing out sin goes i think there's some practically helpful ways to do this this isn't in the text this is just okay human wisdom seems to dictate these things will be helpful so how do you deal gently with one another when pointing out sin first the way most people are built means you'll almost certainly need to have this conversation face to face almost certainly not a rule 100 percent of the time but almost a rule 100 percent of the time so jesus himself says if your brother sins against you go to him go and tell him his fault so we should probably all just resolve to never point out sin via email via text via social media let's just resolve to not do that most people are going to need the context of hearing your voice seeing your face seeing your body language So let's go to the person. Second, consider putting it in the form of a question. Again, this isn't a command from the Lord, but just consider putting it in the form of a question, just like my friend John did with me. Hey, Scott, do you think maybe you've been a bit lazy at work? Here's the reason that that that's helpful. It gives the person, first, it gives them the opportunity to correct your, your misunderstanding, you know? I mean, John could have said that, and I could have said, oh, okay, I see why you think that. But actually, our manager asked me to kind of be lazy so that he could use that as sort of an object lesson in our next staff meeting. It would have been great if I could have told John that. <laughs> that wasn't the case. I've had no conversation with our manager about that. No, but there could be a time where you say, hey, it sounded like you talked pretty harshly to this person, or it looks like you did this thing. Did, did you do that thing? And they might be able to say, no, that's not exactly what was happening, right? So that's helpful. But but of course, it's, it's also helpful because it it, it it lets that person understand that that you're not coming at them harshly you're giving an opportunity to hear the context to, to see what's going on there that that can oftentimes be kind of a gentle way to to begin the conversation the same way that oftentimes jesus will deal with people by asking a question or the prophets will you see that happening in the historical books in, in the old testament and of course another way to be gentle is by being humble Our passage talks about this explicitly when when you're pointing out sin to a fellow believer you've got to remember that you are a sinner too that's the antidote you want to know how to be humble when pointing out sin to a fellow believer remember that you are a sinner too you have the same sinful flesh as they do and what that means is any sin they've committed is a sin that you could very well commit tomorrow right an hour from then we have the same sinful flesh. So, so just think of some of the most evil individuals in history where their evil did the most harm numerically. So Stalin or Mao or Hitler, they had no extra ingredient in their sinful flesh that you don't have. Isn't that incredible? Hitler and Mao and Stalin, and we can name others, they were made of the same thing that you're made of. They had nothing extra. Now, they lacked the Holy Spirit, but we're talking about our own nature on its own. They had nothing you don't have. You don't have anything that they didn't have in your own nature. That truth should produce the kind of humility we need when pointing out sin to one another. In fact, this is one reason why Christian counseling has such a leg up on non-Christian counseling. So, in professional non-Christian counseling, this is the thinking. The counselor is the well person, and they are helping you, the sick person. That's not Christian counseling. Now, in the church, we understand that I'm the sick person aiming to help you, the sick person. And you, when it's necessary, are the sick person aiming to help me, the sick person. So in pointing out sin, we should be humble. Paul tells us this explicitly second sentence of verse one keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted so no sin is passed to any of us and and we as christians will deal most gently with sinners when we remember our sinful flesh is the same as theirs one thing that's been so helpful for me parenting wise is anytime i'm frustrated i don't do it all the time oh lord help me do it all the time but sometimes I'll be frustrated with my kids about something and then i will think okay i'm god's child do i ever do that with god you know what the answer is 110 percent of the time yes usually i've done it that day that will help us to deal gently with one another is when we remember that our sinful flesh is the same as theirs and then finally as far as the how goes final thing listed there bear the burden with the gospel so we're supposed to bear one another's burdens Paul's talking specifically here about pointing out sin to one another. Well, when we do that, when we aim to bear their sin, we wanna bear the burden with the gospel. You've probably helped somebody move before there, where there were some really heavy pieces of furniture that had to get put on a truck. And best case scenario, somebody there has brought a dolly where you've got to get some guys to lift the thing up initially, but then one guy, the guy that's got the good position gets to just roll the dolly underneath there and then you're just praising the Lord because the dolly is bearing the weight of that heavy thing. Will the burden, bear one another's burdens, the burden our passage has been talking about is the burden of sin. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens. He's talking about the burden of sin. Every believer around you is struggling with the burden of sin. It's weighing them down. It's weighing you down too, as long as we're in this life. But see, God doesn't want that. Chapter 5, verse 1 for freedom Christ has set us free. God wants you and your brothers and sisters in Christ to be out from under the burden of their sins. In a way, that's been the whole message of Galatians, is trying to get them out from under the burden of their sins. So so how do we help one another do that? By rolling the gospel underneath, just like a dolly that's going under that heavy furniture to bear the weight of that sin. So when you point out sin to a fellow brother or sister in Christ, you don't just say, hey, you're doing this thing. You've really got to stop doing that thing. Now, that's what the world does. That's what every other fake religion does. Make yourself better. That's the good news of every other religion. That's the good news of most people that would say they have no religion. That's the point of life. Make yourself better, and hopefully you'll be good enough. If there is a God when you stand before him, hopefully you would have been good enough. That's a burden. That's not what we're supposed to say to each other. Now, the good news is, is better than just a list of things not to do. Once a believer sees their sin, they get to take that sin to the Lord, confessing it to him and believing that that particular sin, like all of their sins, has been paid for on the cross. When we point out sin to one another, we get the best task in the world, which is to point one another to Jesus. To tell your brother and sister, hey, that sin that you seem to be caught in Jesus paid for that sin. Take it to him. It's covered. We get to tell our fellow members the same thing Jesus said about the repentant tax collector in our assurance of forgiveness this morning. You are justified because you're connected to Jesus through faith in him. So, so when you point out sin to one another, push the truth about Jesus and the cross under that sin for that person. It, it's the gospel that's supposed to bear the weight Remind them about the work of Christ. And if you're here and you're not a Christian or, or don't know what you think about Jesus, that's what the Lord is offering you this morning. He is ready to put the dolly of the gospel underneath your sin and bear all the weight of it, where you don't have to bear the weight of it any longer, and you will be considered innocent in his eyes for all eternity. You'll be considered justified. And all that takes is to desire to turn from your sin, and to love and trust in Jesus, to pay for those sins. If you're interested in hearing more about that, if you're willing to think more about that, grab me or one of the the other pastors here after the service this morning. Send me an email. My email address is there on the worship guide, on the back, on the bottom. So for us as believers, when you point out sin to a fellow believer, remind them that this particular sin was paid for by Jesus before they were even alive, having 2,000 years ago. It's not gonna lead to their condemnation. It's not gonna lead to a broken relationship with God. They still need to repent, take that sin to Christ, but the weight of that sin has been borne by the gospel. There is no better news we can tell each other than that. That is good news. So love fellow members by pointing out sin when necessary. Well, the final thing I think the Lord would have us do is to use the final judgment of God to keep all we've been talking about in perspective. Look at verse three. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Okay, so God's judgment is really coming. That's a thing that's going to happen. Even days where we don't really believe it or struggle to believe it, irrespective of that God's judgment is coming our sinful nature really is calling us to sin trying to get us caught and at that future judgment each individual person will have to bear their own load as verse 5 says individually that's what he's getting at here you'll stand before the Lord as an individual the Lord tells us this because it's good for us to think about this every now and then so we won't stand before the Lord as a church now right now we're in the position where we get to help one another bear the burden of sin. I get to try to help you, you get to try to help me, everybody else that's a member of this church, but, but a day's coming where you'll no longer be able to help me bear my load and I'll no longer be able to help you bear yours. We won't stand before the Lord as a church. You won't stand before the Lord with your extended family or your immediate household or your spouse. You'll stand before the Lord on your own, it'll be you and the Lord. And this is a good thing to remember. You may be tempted sometimes to think about your relationship with God as being in some way mediated through your spouse. So you're sort of relying on the fact that, oh, my, my wife is really close to the Lord. I'm not that close, but my wife's really close and, and she's my wife. So I bet that's going to do something for me. No, it won't. Or vice versa. You might think about that with your husband or you can feel that way with your parents. You might think, I'm not that interested in in following Jesus, but my parents love Jesus. I bet that's gonna do something for me. No, no, it, it won't do a thing. Listen, that's not how it works. Look again at verse four. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. When you stand before God, you and you alone will be answering his questions. Your spouse won't speak for you. Your parents won't speak for you. Your pastors won't speak for you. It will be your own life's work, which will be tested, as this verse says. As Paul says here, verse five, each one will have to bear his own load. And listen, as we close, for the Christian on that day, the only regret any of us will have, we can be convinced this is true, it won't be that you didn't pursue this certain promotion or you didn't pick up this hobby or you didn't pursue friendship with this person, or I didn't invest in this. All of those things will instantly be far, far, far from your thinking. Now, when we're standing before the Lord on the last day, the only regret any of us will have is that we turned away from Jesus and to sin way too often. That's the only regret we'll have when we stand before the Lord. Our only regret will be that we didn't test our work enough, like this verse says, and that's why we need the church. Because of the weakness of our flesh and the danger and deceitfulness of sin, there will be times when we, all of us, are caught in transgression. And in those times, the most valuable and loving thing our fellow church member can do is to point that out to help bear the burden of sin and restore us. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray together. And Father, we are so thankful that not only do you give us a Savior in Christ, a, a brother who we're connected to through faith and who has won salvation for us, Father, you give us a host of other brothers and sisters. Now, none of the rest of us is sinless and perfect. Christ will never let us down. Our spiritual brothers and sisters here in this life undoubtedly will let us down, just like we'll let them down. But Father, as a church, we want to aim to be a church that is helping to bear one another's burdens. We understand the most significant burden any of us has is our sin. Father, please, please grow us in this way. Grow us in the ability to gently point out sin when we are caught in it. Father, we pray we would welcome that from one another. We know that's you working through the body of Christ to do good to us for your glory. Father, grow us in those ways for the good of the kingdom. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.